0: Okay, hey, now I think it's my cue, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, I'm up. Um, that's that's hard to follow. Worship's hard to follow. And then I don't have a bakery, y'all. I can't I can't cook anything, but much less bake, because baking's like, I can't even do cut and bake cookies. No joke. So anyway, I loved hearing that. Uh, like Andy said, I'm Laura Seifert, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I want to tell you just a couple things about myself before I jump in. Uh, i got to spit my gum out. This is so tacky, and I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. But I had a turkey sandwich, and I didn't have any mints, and I thought, oh, well, I've already put it in here. It's good. We're all good. Um, Anyway, I was like, how am I going to do this strategically? I'm not. I'm just going to fumble right through it. So anyway, but my husband, Jason Seifert, was on staff at Houston's First Baptist for six years. And we joined the staff. I can't remember when, but we just... A year ago, we left, and I just have to tell you how much I love your church, and we love Houston's First. Greg Mott's one of the finest leaders I've ever come under the authority of, and I can't say enough. If you don't have a church home and you live out here, I would give this place a shot because the spirit is here, and the leadership is par none. And so we we really loved it. We live in Friendswood, Texas, which is literally the other side of Egypt from here. And I discovered that as I was driving out here. It was crazy. Um, but it's Southeast Houston, in between Houston and Galveston. And so we live, we've we lived out there for about 16 or 17 years. And so we knew, my oldest child is in junior high this year, and we knew that, that to drive into town continually was going to be hard. And we couldn't afford anything around the main campus that didn't have bars on the windows. So we just kept praying and we were like, Lord, what are you doing? And just as we continued on, we knew God was, was really planting us even deeper in our community than we'd already been. So God just provided a way for us. And we have sweet, sweet friends. We'd been on, in, on a church staff there. And long story short, we joined the staff of a church there a year ago. I say all that to tell you is that I love your church. And there's so many things that we miss about it. Um, And it's just an honor to be back. I got to speak at the women's retreat in October um, at the Omni and just loved that. It was such a joy. So when Andy called and invited me to come here, I was all in, super excited to be here. So thank you all for having me. And when Andy called... She said, "We're." she had all these, I mean, she was talking 90 to nothing, so excited about what God placed in her heart, what God was doing in Sarah's life and how that was coming together. But she kept using the word called. She kept saying called and she said, I just think there's more for women, more. And I agree with that, I totally understand that. But as I was praying for you and as we were singing, one thing I wanted to share with you that God placed on my heart is just to tell you that he loves you. And the scripture that kept coming to my mind tonight was cease striving and know that I am God. Just just take a deep breath is what that verse means to me. Cease striving. Because you can hear what others are doing and and we can be tired and inspired at the same time just seeing what Sarah's doing and thinking, what am I doing? I mean, I just wipe countertops and wipe behinds and wipe... I mean, I I don't know what I'm doing in my life right now. And and I just want all of us for a minute just to see striving and just know that He loves you. He just loves you. He's fully pleased with you right where you are, exactly where you find yourself in your life, in your circumstances tonight. As you drove up, as you walked in, whatever it was you carried in on your shoulders with you, He sees all of that and He delights in you. He loves you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not wishing you'd get it together. He's not frustrated with you. He loves you. He loves you. When Jesus was baptized by John before he started his ministry and he came up out of the water, he heard the Lord speak and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And because of his death, we get to hear those same words from our heavenly father. This is my daughter. So he just loves you tonight. And so I just pray that As we open God's word together, that you can just receive it and know that it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to draw you closer to him. Scripture says it's the loving kindness of the Lord that brings about our repentance. So anything that God wants to challenge and wants to speak or even convict in my life, it's brought about through his loving kindness. And so if I'm on a treadmill thinking I gotta do better, be better, get better, get right, it just makes me exhausted and he's not in any of that. He loves you, he sees you, and he wants to bless you tonight. He wants to feed you with some good food from his word. So we're gonna look in Mark chapter six tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we've got a listening guide with you. With I don't know if the scripture's printed out, I don't think it is, but you can just take notes. They asked me, do you have, do you have a listening guide, Laura? Are you gonna want one? We can print one out for you, and I was like, I can do that, but you'll be so frustrated because I'm the worst at following listening guides and filling in blanks. You'll just be, some of you out there will go, you missed blank number two and you're just mad at the, the rest of the time because I'm so, I can get all over the map. So what I like to do is just give you the passage I'm teaching from and then you can circle and underline and just as God speaks to you, take the notes that he's wanting you to take. So we're in Mark chapter six and we're gonna look at starting in verse thirty a story in scripture that's probably familiar to many of us in the room. Jesus is about to feed 5,000 people. And so you've probably heard this story. And if you're like me, there's been seasons in my life, especially when I was younger in my faith, when scripture was difficult for me to really connect with. And I think my approach to scripture was more of a moral compass. This is kind of a list of how I should behave, what I should do. It's gonna give me direction. And people would say, it's a love letter to you. And that, I couldn't really connect with that. And I began for lots of years just to ask God, Lord, give me a love for your word. Give me a love for your word. Because most of the time, if I was really honest, back in my early 20s, I was reading the word because I ought to do it. It was the right thing to do and I loved the Lord, but I was having a hard time just opening the word and connecting with it. And then I read this quote that I've memorized and I start a lot of my teachings with this quote because it helped me turn a corner. And the quote is this, it says, "'If scripture is going to be my teacher, "'then I must put on every story like a robe to be worn, "'identifying with the characters, walking in their shoes, "'and feeling with their hearts.'" And when I read that, I thought, that's it. I'm not jumping into the story. I'm not identifying with the characters. I'm kind of looking at it from a bird's eye view or a 30,000 foot view and the Lord wants me close. The Lord wants me in it. There's not one character in scripture that I am not like. I am that woman caught in adultery even if I've never been an adulteress. I am Zacchaeus even if I've never betrayed my friends. I am Abraham who's been called by God even when I think there's nothing that I bring to the table. I am Moses who was called to teach and said, I have nothing, I am going to fumble. We're every character. And so jump in with me tonight and I want you to read this with me like you've not ever read it before and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you afresh. Starting in verse 30, it says this. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Don't you love that about Jesus? We don't give ourselves permission to rest, but he does. Let's go off to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt so busy and so spread thin that you don't even have time to eat? I always make time to eat, but there are times when I just, I'm just spread so thin that I'm just kind of a frazzled mess. And they'd come back from this ministry tour, and I don't know if they were a frazzled mess, but Jesus obviously could see that they needed rest. And he said, let's go off to a quiet place and get some rest. And so if you're like me and Jesus commands us and says, let's go do that, I'm thinking that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go off and we're gonna have time alone and we're gonna refuel and we're gonna recharge and we won't have any interruptions and it's gonna be sweet. But what I've learned and what you've probably learned along the way, if you are a child of God, you are called to minister. If you are in the faith, if you have given your life to Christ, if you've received his blood-bought sacrifice for you, you're a daughter of Christ, then you are a minister of the gospel. You don't have to have a business that runs out of your home to be a minister. You don't have to stand up on a stage and teach to be a minister, you're a minister. And what that really means is, is that your life is really not your own anymore. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, my life is his, it's not mine. And so I no longer get to dictate my schedule even though I try to all the time. And so Jesus says, let's go off to a quiet place and rest a while. Now in Jesus' mind, he already knows nothing's written in ink on his calendar. Everything, he says, I just do what the Father tells me to do. So everything is held loosely in his mind, probably not the disciples' minds and we'll see that in just a second they're probably thinking, good, this is our break time. I teach a lot and I teach, I, for years I've taught Bible studies and I get in a real rhythm of teaching. And Monday's a study day, Tuesday's a teaching day, Wednesday's a teaching day, Thursday's Sabbath. And so in my mind, Sabbath means I get to do what I want to do. So don't call me. You can call me, but I may not answer. But if I, I get to do what I want to do, And in my mind, I think Sabbath is me writing in ink what Laura wants to do. And not long ago, I was really confronted with that, that even your Sabbath, Laura, is his. And I'm like, well, what if he wants me to do something that I don't wanna do? I mean, I've been serving and doing all this other stuff. Is my life yours or not, is what he asks me. And there's a passage that I love to go back to when I need that fresh reminder and it's in Hebrews, and it says this, and I like to read it from the message. I just wanna read it to you tonight because it's a good reminder that everything I do is ministry. There's not ministry and then secular world. There's not, well, he's got a secular job, but she's in vocational ministry. There's not, I get a Sabbath day off. I mean, I get rest, but when my life is his, then everything is ministry. Everything is ministry. It doesn't matter what season you're in. Maybe you're in a season of singlehood and you think, well, what do I have to bring to the table right now? I'm just working hard and waiting because I wanna get married. Maybe you've got young kids at home and you think, what am I doing? All I'm doing is wiping and changing diapers. That's all that I'm doing. Nobody sees me. Maybe you're in a career that you feel like has dead-ended and you're tired of it. And you think, I'm just stuck here. I'm gonna ride this thing out forever. I'm not in ministry. You are. Scripture tells us so, it says this, it says in Hebrews 12, it says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. I want you to take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and I want you to place it before God as an offering. What does that mean? It means my life isn't mine, it's yours. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You're going to be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. And quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. What's interesting about this passage is he's saying, take your everyday life. Everything is sacred to the Lord. Give it to him. And then press in and listen to what he wants you to do. Press in and listen to what he wants you to do. He will speak to you. And so that's what the disciples are doing. They've been ministering for Jesus. They've been ministering in his name. They've been empowered. They've come back. They're on a high, but they're tired. And they're thinking, okay, here we're going to get a little bit of rest. And it says this in verse 32. It says, so they left by boat for, for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and they saw, as they saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran along the shore and got there ahead of them. Can y'all picture that scene? I mean, these people, they're tired. Jesus especially is the most tired. And they think in their mind, we're gonna sneak away and get some time alone. And they look up and they're like, they're not ever gonna leave us alone. They're swarming like flies. They're just sprinting, running after them as they're in their boat, running after the shoreline toward them. And if you're like me or like the disciples, you're thinking, oh man, never gonna get a break. Ministry's never really convenient. It says, then in verse 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat and he had compassion on them. Who's the last person that irritated you? Who's the last person that was an interruption in your day? Who's the last person that really just got under your skin and you thought, ugh, I'm just going to avoid Jesus looked at them and had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Here's the thing. We are fully human. We don't have, we're we're fully human. And so our bodies need rest. So don't hear that I'm saying not to pace yourself and take care of your body. But God always gets the last word. And so there are many, many times in your day when you've got something mapped out and if you're not paying attention, the Lord is trying to divinely interrupt you and divinely interrupt me. But if my calendar is inked in With this, these are the errands that I have to get done. If I don't get the cleaning today and get to HEB, the kids aren't gonna have anything in their lunch. Jason's not gonna have shirts to where I've got things I need to do. And I certainly don't have time to stop and talk to this woman. Ministry often happens with divine interruptions. Divine interruption, Sarah was a perfect example. They're driving home from wherever and their little son sees a homeless man and says, how are we gonna build him a house? I doubt they got up that day and thought, you know what, let's create this awesome ministry experience for our son and we're gonna map it and we're gonna find a homeless guy and we're gonna drive by and see if he can see something because we've prepared, we've thought this through. He's gonna probably say something bigger than we can do, but we're already thinking we'll do blankets instead and we've got it all mapped out. It's inked in and it works in our schedule. Is that how that happened? Probably not. They probably came home and said, he's gonna forget about this. What do we do? And he didn't. It was a divine interruption, but they were paying attention and they heeded the call and their life has never been the same. When Jesus saw the masses running, he didn't despise them. Instead, he had compassion on them. And oftentimes, what our, our callings come from these divine interruptions? these things we'd never see ourselves doing. Y'all, if you told me I would ever teach or speak, that I would have just slapped you because that would have been so absurd. I wouldn't have slapped you probably, but I would have laughed. That would have been so absurd. When I got into ministry, the last place I wanted to land was women's ministry because I didn't think I had anything to bring to the table. I was 27, I was single. I just thought that's the last place. I have zero credibility and women can be kind of scary. So I'll just do something different. And then all of a sudden there was a need and it was a divine interruption and there I landed. So here comes this divine interruption. And instead of despising or wishing it away, Jesus brought them closer and had compassion. I was studying this week, this passage and I thought, how many times have I been an interruption in someone else's life? How many times have I been the one making the phone call going, can you please meet me for coffee? How many times have I been inconvenient, but sweet, sweet people have had the compassion of Jesus and have received me? I have so many spiritual mothers in the faith that have loved me so well. And I thought, man, how many times have I been an inconvenience or just certainly something they haven't planned? And yet God has been so, faithful. so don't despise those things. Sometimes if you're like me, you think, well, this is what I'm called to do. And we'll have callings in our life that are big. We'll have dreams that God's planted in our lives, that we're praying through and we're wanting to see come to fruition. Something that God just, just, sparked in our hearts for years. But we might be like Joseph and we might have a dream when we're 17 about something and we don't really know what it means. But over the course of time, God works it out and then we look back and go, oh my goodness, here it is at age 40. I'm living out what I dreamt about at 17. Same thing with David. So there's ministry at that macro scale, but really, y'all, we're all ministers. And so don't wait for whatever that dream is to come to fruition and for it all to fall into place. Just minister right where you are. God's already at work with whatever that dream is. He's not forsaken it. He's not forgotten about it. He's for you. He put the dream in your heart. But just be faithful to where he is now. I remember when I was in high school, I thought I was called to ministry, but I was so messed up about it, because I didn't really fully understand grace. And I thought, well, God calls women that have it together. Well, that's not me, I'm pretty messy. So I must be hearing that wrong, but there was this tug, this tug. And so I got into the corporate world and I kept kind of doing other jobs, but the whole time there was a tug for me to be in ministry. I didn't even know what it looked like, but I just kept praying it through. And I joined the, um, I joined the staff of a consulting firm downtown. And I thought, well, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm saying yes to this. I should be joining a church staff somewhere, doing some other sort of parachurch ministry. But God was leading me there and so there I was. And the first week I was there, some friends came and said, you know, this boss that you have, you're her only subordinate because she just got back from vacation and 14 people that reported to her said they would quit if they didn't fire her. And so they restructured them all, and so you're her only subordinate. So just be prepared. She's kind of a bear. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I thought, well, I've got to get out of here as fast as possible. There is no way this could be a divine calling. There's no way. I'm called to ministry, so I'm going to hightail it out of here. And I remember through so many tears, because it, it was a rough go the first few months with her, I just remember the Lord said, I'm not moving you, so here you are. So start praying for her, start ministering to her. Don't Bible beat her down, just start loving her. Just start, do you really have compassion for her, Laura? Just start loving her. And so I did, I just started, and honestly, I just started praying for her. And then the Lord began to soften my heart. And instead of looking at her with content, I began to look at her with compassion. And the Lord began to teach me through this secular job, what ministry really looked like. It meant loving people that are not easy to love. It meant taking time with them. And I'm telling you, y'all, the way I was there for six years and what God did in our relationship was miraculous, miraculous. She opened her heart up to the gospel. We had so many beautiful conversations. But not only her, I was able to minister to those around us. And God did a beautiful work. And when it was time, he called me into ministry. So that dream was planted by him But there were steps, it says in scripture, the mind of man makes his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so I had to be faithful with the next step he'd put in front of me, recognizing that that was just as holy work as when I joined the staff of a church. God sees it, he does not see it differently. What he sees is I'm his, my life is his. I'm malleable in his hands. And so when he wants to use me in someone else's life, he doesn't care if it's at Target or if it's on a stage speaking. He's just asking me to be faithful to him. That's what ministry really is. And so Jesus looks at these people whom the disciples see, and we'll see that it, why they see this, but the disciples see them as an interruption. They, they look at them with contempt. Jesus is in tune with the Father and he looks at them with compassion and he starts giving them what they need. He starts to teach them the truth. And he continues to teach and continues to teach. And in verse 35, it says, it's gotten late in the afternoon now. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, "Uh, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to a nearby farm and village to buy something to eat. What happens right here is the, the disciples are getting tired. They're getting weary, but they're also getting overwhelmed. And they're thinking, okay, we've followed you, Jesus. We've been good. We haven't said too much. We've allowed you to do your thing. We haven't gotten any rest. That's okay, we'll be sacrificial, but here's the deal. We got nothing to feed them. It's getting late. You've clearly lost track of time. You're preaching too long. It's time to shut her down and send them home. And what are they doing? They're viewing this need, this overwhelming need with human eyes. And so, anytime God calls you into something, if you don't feel like it's bigger than you, then it's probably not God calling you to it. Because God always calls you to step out on waters that are deeper than your feet can handle. He's always calling you to come out in a place of total dependency on Him. So much so that you think, if this doesn't happen, if you don't come through, God, I'm sinking. If you don't come through, I'm sinking. And so the disciples are seeing this massive need. They're looking at it with their fleshly little eyes and they're going, we got no way to meet this need, so send them away, send them away. How many times, if you're just home raising children right now, how many times have you laid your head on the bed at night and you thought, well, I fumbled that one today. Lord, I do not have what it takes to raise these babies upright. Oh my goodness. How many of you have looked at your husband and you think, How do we get reconnected, Lord? How does our marriage move from just existing to really thriving? I don't have what it takes to meet his needs. I don't really even know what they are. How many of you are in a career right now and you think, I I just, I'm weighing over my head. If they look too closely, they're going to fire me. I don't know what I'm doing. I mentioned to you before that Jason and I have been in ministry together and we moved to Friendswood. We both joined the staff of a church where we served for 10 years and God called us on to something different. He joined the staff of Houston's First Baptist and I left staff as a women's pastor and I didn't really know what I was gonna do next. And my college pastor who lives in Houston now called me and said, hey, I am starting this men's Bible study at River Oaks Country Club y'all know where that is? That's like a place that I I don't really drive through there much. And would you be willing to come and teach, start a women's Bible study there? And I was like, well, no, no, Mm -mm. no, no. Why? Because I drive a 2004 Tahoe. That's why. I mean, I just immediately went to that fleshly place of like, I don't fit in there. That's way in over my head. No, what would I, no. Am I gonna be able to relate to them? No, get somebody within their circle to start one. And he said, no, I want you to do it. And I've got a club member that will open the doors that will help you. We didn't know each other. It felt like an arranged marriage and here we come together. And there was something in me though where the Lord was saying, I just knew in my spirit he was asking me to do this. But it felt overwhelming and my instinct was what the disciples instinct was, is send it away. Shut it down, mm that, that's a crazy thought. That cannot be right, that's not me. Find your other girl, this is not me, this is not who I am. And the Lord affirmed, no, this is who you are and so now you get to decide, are you gonna trust me or are you gonna lean on your own understanding? What's it gonna be? And I thought, okay, no, I'm surrendered to you, I'm gonna trust you and so here I go. I was humming the Sanford and Son song, like as I'm driving up to River Oaks that first week. And y'all, there were five of us and two of them were from Friendswood. And then we've got the, the one gal that's at River Oaks who is there, she's there. And then she brought her masseuse to sit at the table so we'd at least have five. So here we are starting it. No one really from River Oaks is there. And we just start, we just stay faithful. And I'm like, Lord, this seems crazy. This is insane. And we just kept going. And then all of a sudden we look up and within two years, we were almost 200 women. And it just kind of bloomed. And what God showed me was so many things. One is when he's asked you to do it, he's not asking you to figure it out. He's not asking you to have the strength. He's not asking you to get the strategy in place. He's asking you to trust him. And so ministry is not what can I do for you, God? Ministry is what can I do with you? What are you asking me to do, God? When he asks me to do something or for you to do something or like Sarah, he wasn't asking Sarah to figure out how to get a double oven. He wasn't asking Sarah to figure out how to make 30 dozen cookies quickly on her own. He's saying, if you'll just take the next step, I'll tell you how to do it. You're all of a sudden gonna know how to do it and ideas are gonna come. I'm gonna give you what you need in real time. The question is not, how am I gonna do it? The question is, am I gonna trust the Lord? Am I gonna trust him to do it? And so here I go feeling like my, what reputation do I have? Not much, but I feel like it's on the line driving into River Oaks Country Club. And in two years, I have some lifelong treasured friends. What I realized, y'all, is women are women, no matter what your bank account looks like. Y'all, we had women that, that literally were gone one week, and I was like, where were y'all? And they are like, we went to Cabo on our plane. They had a plane. And, and I was just like, what is this world you're living in? And then I would just have the sweetest conversations with them and just their fears and the way they want, we're we're all the same, we're all the same. The Lord was doing so much and I would have missed it. I would have missed it because in my little fleshly mind and through my little fleshly eyes, it did not make sense. Y'all, he never makes sense. Scripture's clear. He tells us that. My ways are nothing like your ways. They're higher than yours. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. So if you're waiting for it to make sense, just stop. So we started that Bible study. It grew to 200. Then we started one in Friendswood. It grew to about the same size. And here we go. It just Yes Ministries is born. Never did I set out. I'm going to start. A, I, I, didn't, I just followed the next step that he shone the light on. That was it and that's what he's asking the disciples do, to do and we'll see it here. The disciples are like, Lord, send them away, it's getting late, we don't have enough food to feed them, we don't have any food to feed them, they're gonna be hungry, there's 5,000 men and women and children, what do we do? Jesus in verse 37 looks at them at their response and he doesn't argue with it. He doesn't say, no, this is probably, it's definitely not 5,000, it's a total manageable number. This is doable, y'all. He looks at them and he says, you feed them. You feed them. I wonder if that's what they expected him to say. No, they're expecting him to say, you're right. You are right. This is bigger than we can do. We might as well send them home. Instead, he goes one level higher and says, no, you feed them. You feed them. Have you ever sensed God asking you to do something that's absurd In your mind, it's absurd. And he's saying, you feed them. You'll see this story in all of the gospels. And in John, it looks like this. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And he turned to Philip, one of his disciples, and he asked him, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And he was testing Philip, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. What I love about Jesus is when he calls me to start a Bible study at River Oaks, he already knows, yes, ministries is in the future. He already knows where we're going. He's not thinking, well, we'll just figure this thing out. And I hope that I'm smart enough by the time we get there. But I think that way, because I know I'm not. And he's saying, well, you just trust me, Laura. Jesus says to them, you feed them. You feed them. With what, they ask, We would have to work for months to earn enough money to go buy food for all of these people. The amount of money that it would cost to have fed them was a year's salary and wages. With what, we would all have to work for months to buy food for all of these people. And then in verse 38, I love the way Jesus responds. He says, well, how much bread do you have? Go and find it. And so what Jesus' response to you and to me is when we say, but how, but wait, but with what? Jesus says, what do you have? What, what do you have? Bring that to the table, I'm gonna bless it and do what you couldn't ever think to do. I remember when I was headed to college, I didn't know what I would major and I had no idea. I, wanted to, I just wanted to major in fun. I, guess, I just was not one of those real studious people. And my boyfriend at the time said, why don't you um, declare speech communication as your major because you like to talk a lot. And I remember not knowing what I would do with that, but I loved the courses. I loved it. And so I just stayed with it. I didn't know what I was gonna do with it. But I did know that I loved to communicate and I loved the science of how people communicated. There was something about that that I loved. And so when I joined that church staff after I left the corporate world, I remember this teaching gift started to bubble up inside me. I was starting in women's ministry, but I thought there's no way I would have anything to feed someone else. There's nothing that I would have. I I couldn't even think of doing it. It seemed preposterous to me. And the only female teacher that I had to look at was Beth Moore. And you don't want to compare yourself to Beth Moore. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm just, no, I'm just going to go on home. And I remember Jesus said, well, what do you have? What do you have? I had a love to communicate. I had a love to take the Bible and make it make sense, help it make sense and and take it from this moral um, do's and don'ts to come alive for people and to go, he loves you and you'll see it through here. And I had, I, had some, I had some things. And Jesus said, just bring what you have. Just bring what you have because what you have, he's already given that to you. And so they bring him loaves, two fish and, and three or five loaves of bread. I just lost it. Um, we'll see here that they bring him what they have. And it says they came, oh yeah, They have five loaves of bread and they have two fish. That's what they come back and they report. And so Jesus said to the disciples to have the people sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. In verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And what what scripture means by that is when you bless your meal, you're not really blessing the food, like bless it and all of a sudden make this taste good. You're blessing God for providing the food. And so they're giving thanks to God. So Jesus is recognizing who the, the five loaves and the inadequate amount of food is coming from. Lord, thank you, thank you. And then what he does is interesting. He breaks the loaves and he breaks the fish. It says he breaks the loaves into pieces. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people, and he divided the fish for them to share. He broke it. Don't you think it's interesting that he didn't just take it and go, okay, you take a piece, now you take a piece, now you take a piece, he broke it. There's something, there's a spiritual metaphor there. Anytime Jesus is ready to use you, it's because you've been broken. It's because I've been broken. Anytime, a calloused heart can't be used. But when he breaks off that little tough area around our hearts that just sneaks in there without us even knowing it. I mean, through seasons and seasons of my life, there's a new fresh breaking that needs to happen in my life for ministry to really be fruitful. Because there's something about breaking that allows new life to come forth. When you plant a seed into the ground, it breaks, it dies, it splits in order for something to grow out of it. It's never fun. But what I find when God was calling me into ministry, he broke me, and what he broke me of is he broke me of my own ideas. He broke me of this is how it has to look in order to be you in order for it to be you, God. And he also broke me of that false sense of whatever that thing was, that self-condemnation of I don't have enough and I'm a fraud, and blah, 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 All those things that we come up with, all the reasons why we shouldn't step out and call ourselves called. He will break you of that. And then he will also break you of any time you think you really are bringing something special to the table. Anytime I think, I got this, I got this, God. He breaks me of that. This is not your own strength, Laura but at the same time, don't let your heart condemn you. Stay in the sweet spot of dependency on Jesus. And so he broke it, and it was when he broke it that it multiplied. There's so much I could say about that. There's something attractive about Sarah because Sarah didn't come up tonight and say, let me tell you all the ways I know how to bake. Let me tell you about the place. She came up and she said, there was a need. We sensed God calling us into it and we said yes and look at what he's done. And so there's a humility about Sarah that makes me think, okay, well, if she can say yes, I can say yes. I, I, it, it'll look different. God's called me to, to teach. He's called her to bake. But if she can say yes, I can say yes too. And it's, it's so important as Christian believing women, as we live our lives, that we live out loud. It doesn't mean that you air everything, but it means that you walk around and you understand that you are saved by grace and you are loved and you don't have it all together. It's almost like we need a savior, right? And allow women into your life. That's a side note, I'm sorry. But Jesus took it and he broke the bread and he fed the multitudes. And in verse 42, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Jesus is always enough and he always provides enough. And so whatever that step is in your life that you're feeling called to, don't waste any energy trying to figure out how it's all going to make sense and all take, get taken care of. You waste, this is where you spend your energy. God, what are you asking me to do? Lord, what are you saying? Okay, I sense this is what you're saying. I'm going to step out in faith now. That's what we do. And here's the beauty of what ministry is. Ministry is not accomplishing some great thing for the Lord. Ministry is walking hand in hand with him and getting to see him live his life through you. It's an intimacy with the Lord. That's what ministry really is. Because here's the thing. Jesus could have said, now watch me feed them. When they came to Jesus and said, it's late, they need to go away, we don't have enough to feed them, Jesus could have said, okay, I'll take care of it. Now watch this. Instead, Jesus said, you feed them. Why? Because he knows, he's nearing the end of his ministry. He knows, he's gonna empower them with the Holy Spirit and they're gonna do greater things than he did. Scripture tells us that. And so he's beginning to train them to walk in faith. You feed them. Here's what it looks like to abide in me. Here's what it looks like to depend on me. What have I asked you to do? Do that and watch me come through for you every time. Do that, I will never fail you. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will be with you. Just do what I've asked you to do. Why, so that we can check off a moral behavior code. No, it's so that we get to experience a live, intimate relationship with the King. When I drove up to River Oaks Country Club that day, I was shaking in my boots. I was a nervous wreck. But I walked in and I continued to remind myself, Lord, you've asked me to do this. This seems crazy. You've asked me to do that. And then all of a sudden, as I step out in obedience, he's there and it's the ride of my life. The ride of my life. The same thing is true in my marriage. When I try and fix Jason, it just doesn't work. But when I sit and go, Lord, how do you want me to minister to him today? How do you want me to minister? Here are the things that I'm worried about. Here are the things that I'm praying for, for him. Here are the things that I really wish would change, Lord. Here's the thing that I think, if he would just do this, it would help, it'd help so much. He would feel so much better. And the Lord's saying, you wait on me. That's ministry, that's just as important as anything else I would do, more so with my children. Oh my goodness, y'all. I'm, I've got a junior high kid. He's got pimples on his face and his voice is cracking. And we're there. We are there at adolescence. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And the Lord's saying, are you going to depend on me and let me minister through you to Ben? Or are you going to just try and read as many books and figure this out on your own? Books are not bad. They're great. You see what I'm saying? Ministry is intimacy with God. It is Laying your life down and saying, God, you do through me what I could never do on my own and enjoy the ride. And ministry is gonna look different. We will be called to different things throughout our lives. My, one of my board members is here, um, Nona, and she's an empty nester now. And she's raised four amazing children. And it's fun to watch her enter this season of her life and go, okay, I've been a parent for 20-something years under my, or 18 years under my roof, however many years. What do I do now? And she's pressing in and she's going, you, What does this season look like in ministry for me now? It changes, but it's intimacy. It's fluid. And so to know what you're called to, you've got to know the Lord. And you've got to know that he loves you. He's for you. And that thing in your heart that that just gets you all excited, whatever it is, that thing that you dream about, don't assume that that would be contrary from him. Trust him. If he's put a dream in your heart, just lay it before him. Keep praying it through. Talk to Andy. If you're at this church, talk to her about it. The first time I saw a woman teach, I just came I thought I was gonna come out of my skin. And I went to my pastor and he affirmed this and he began to mentor me in teaching. And God began to do a work. Philippians 4.19, I always hang on to this. It says, you can be sure that God will take care of everything that you need. His generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. His generosity exceeds what you could ever think or imagine. Verse 43, and we'll close. It says, afterwards, the disciples, after all these people had been fed, they picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 12 baskets. I think that's significant. 44 says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Jesus is more than enough. And I'm telling you, if you want, if you, if you feel flatlined in your faith, if you feel flatlined in life where you're like, I'm here, I'm alive, but I don't feel alive, would you just press back in with the Lord? Lord, what are you saying to me? The first step I would say, though, is just remember that you're loved by him. Remember that he loves you. So many times we get distant from the Lord because we've messed up and we think he's mad at us or we think we've disappointed him, we haven't performed well. He just loves you. He just loves you. And so tonight as I close, we're gonna play some more of the um, ocean song and we have some prayer folks that are gonna come down front. And I would just encourage you, if you sense God calling you into something new or even calling you to be faithful where you are, whatever it is, You can't do it without prayer. Paul says, it's your prayers that sustained me. Come and receive prayer tonight. And let's be women of faith and courage together to know that he who has called you is faithful. Jesus, we love you tonight. We thank you that you are so faithful that you've called each one of us. We are all ministers of your gospel So Lord, would you just show us who our neighbor is that we need to minister to, Lord? And would you also show us if there's a specific calling on our life in a ministry that we need to step into, Lord? Would you direct us there as well? But above all else, Lord, would you draw us close to your side? And would you enable us to experience afresh what it means to really be in intimate daily connection with you? That's where life is. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.